Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have a phenomenal and very special guest t- uh, today. His name is Jocko Willink. What's going on, sir? How are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Happy to be here. Outstanding. Happy to have you here as well. I've got my co-host here, Eric Upchurch, in the house, and uh, we're ready to deliver it. So, uh, yeah, Eric, what's up, man? Awesome to be here. Jocko, thank you. You know, we met um, a couple, few weeks ago now down in San Diego at the... Uh, Flip Hacking Live seminar. Saw you there. You were our uh, honorary ADPI hero, the challenge coin. I was just felt, felt like that was an opportunity that I could really just go and shake your hand. Obviously read your books, but um, just somebody that I felt like our military community, uh, the active duty passive income community could really not only look up to, but learn from and grow from. So we're really happy to have you on here. Um, I also felt kind of a, a personal connection and some stuff I'd love to talk about too, but um, love what you do, and thank you so much for being here and adding value to our community. Like I said, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's also, I have to say, uh, to lighten it up a little bit, man, I, it's nice to see you in color. Uh, a lot of our audience is probably just listening to this, but we see you obviously on Instagram and Facebook with the black and white, which is badass and, and nice to see, but uh, seeing you in person and a couple weeks ago and seeing you in color is nice too. So, uh, Yeah, I don't, know how to, uh, I don't know why that's happening. The black know. and white? No, man, it's a, it's a, makes it look, <laughs> makes it look hard. How, let me ask you this one question to start us off. How was your 4.30 this morning? My 4.30 this morning was pretty good to go. My workout wasn't great. I, I was pretty sore coming out of, I trained jujitsu hard yesterday and I worked out okay. really hard yesterday and ran hard yesterday. So I was pretty sore, pretty feeling, feeling sorry for myself. And it's one of those days where you ever heard the negative term, um, you know, you're just going through the motions, meaning right. you don't really, you're not really into it, but you're just going through the motions. Right. Well, I actually, to me, that's a positive thing. And today I had one of those workouts where I wasn't really into it. All I was doing was going through the motions, but sometimes going through the motions is better than not doing anything at all. And that's what I did today. So it wasn't a great workout. I hate to hate to come on here and be a downer, but you know, it was, I woke up when I was supposed to wake up, felt like crap. And then I did what I was supposed to do. Hey, but uh, as one of your book titles, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? So uh, I'm wondering if that had something to do with kind of that mentality. You know, you're well, going yeah, emotions, it, but it has everything to do with that mentality because saying to myself, you know, I can come up with a million different excuses of why I should not go and work or why I should not go and reach is it is I'm supposed to do. There's all these excuses. And if you start accepting one excuse, you might accept three and then you might accept them all and you won't do anything. So my, my excuse acceptance rating is zero. And even if it means I'm just going to get up and go through the motions, that's what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to allow an excuse to win. Yeah. I love that. Self-discipline, you know, and uh, I kind of want to briefly introduce you to some people who uh, crazy as it sounds may not know who you are. Um, you're a major, major influencer in the leadership and, and kind of development, leadership development world now, but uh, you're an accomplished uh, Navy SEAL. Uh, you're in the SEAL teams. Um, you train SEAL teams, uh, multiple deployments, now a successful author, leadership coach, Very mentor. Successful. I mean, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but um, I know you've, you've got a family as well in tow and um, you're just doing really great things. So anybody who's listening to this and isn't as familiar with Jocko or the Jocko podcast, I should mention also, uh, please get tuned into that and we'll put, we'll put backlinks into our show notes for our community to reach out to you. I'm also very excited, Jocko, to someday be part of your FTX. And for active duty passive income, we're a two and a half, three-year-old company now. And for us, our leadership team, uh, to be able to, to um, have Echelon Front um, come and teach us, you know, maybe some of our shortcomings and how to kind of bust through that ceiling as we approach it. So I'm looking forward to those days too. Come and get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sir, do you mind giving us a little bit of your military background? Well, I, I enlisted in the Navy right out of high school. And then I was enlisted for my first eight years. 
And then I got picked up for a program in the Navy called the Seaman to Admiral program, which at the time that I got picked up for it was a really incredibly good deal. They did, they only ran it the way I got it for about two years, which was I went directly, or maybe it was three years that they ran it for the way I got it. I went from being an E5 at SEAL Team 1. I went to 13 weeks of OCS. And then I went to SEAL Team 2 as an ensign with no college and showed up, did, did a couple of deployments as an officer, then went to college after I got done with that, and then went back to the SEAL Team's where I did a few more deployments and eventually retired uh, um, after 20 years. That's so awesome. Mike is a, Mike's a Naval Academy grad and I'm a, uh, I was with 160 SOAR my entire career. Um, and so, you know, I, I appreciate the uh, going from enlisted to an officer and that was one of my track options was it's called uh, um, OCS Direct Select. And um, I was able to go from being an enlisted guy in 160th and actually got orders for flight school and OCS, but uh, turned it down uh, to stay in the unit. So just had that connection, but you were fortunate enough to be in the SEALs and then go be an officer in the SEALs as well, which is pretty amazing uh, feat. Yeah. So what made you wanted to become an officer? Like, was it something in the service that said that you, you know, you can have a better impact or was it just a, you know, a recommendation from a senior? Uh, I had a platoon commander that was a prior enlisted SEAL and he was an outstanding officer and he was an outstanding leader and he's an outstanding person. And what he did, you know, when you're a young guy in a SEAL platoon, that SEAL platoon is your whole world. I mean, I didn't care about anything else in the world other than my SEAL platoon. And when you have a bad SEAL leader, your whole world is miserable. When you have a good SEAL leader, well, your whole world is good. And so I had this great SEAL officer and and when I got done with that deployment, I looked at what it was like working for that guy and how he made the world good, not just for me, but for our whole platoon. And I, I said to myself, one day, if I can, I'm going to try and make the world good for 16 SEALs in a SEAL platoon. So that's what kind of, that's what, that's what pushed me down the track of becoming an officer. Yeah, that's, that's really, that. That, that's, that's been inspirational, not only that you were able to do that, but then when you got out after 20 years of service, you carried that into, into the corporate world as well, as well, helping people understand some of, you know, their leadership flaws and capabilities and kind of growing, helping people grow their businesses too. So um, I think you've done that probably better than anybody out there is, is really taking a strategic look at your business from a military standpoint, which is uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen some awesome success stories from those companies. Yeah, we've, that's been the most rewarding part of what we've been doing, what I've been doing since I retired is seeing, being, being able to work with companies and watch them just reach the next level through the principles of leadership that we talk about and teach. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that, Jocko. And your, your book is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I can tell you that uh, there are so many of our listeners that have read this uh, book and we're super uh, excited about the interview because they get to see some insight. Uh, do you mind giving uh, our listeners a little bit of insight as to your transition from the military to the civilian field and kind of how you know you uh, you came about wanting to go out and pursue this mission that you've had in adding you know efficiency to everyone's well. Business? Interestingly, as much as I talk about being strategic and figuring out what your plan is and having a, a vision of where you want to be, when I was getting ready to retire from the SEAL teams. I was planning to retire. I was, I'd been, you know, deployed over and over and over and over again for my whole career. And, you know, I wanted to spend some time with my wife and kids. And I had a, I had a little, I'm into jujitsu and mixed martial arts. So I have a little mixed martial arts jujitsu gym. And I figured I would train and teach some jujitsu and I would hang out with my wife and kids and surf and go to, go to ball games and whatnot go to wrestling tournaments. So that was my plan. And then about six months prior to my retirement, I had a friend that was the CEO of a company and he said, Hey, would you mind coming and talking to some of my, some of my executives about leadership? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, he's a friend of mine. Sure. Let's do it. So I went up and talked to his executive team about leadership. And, and I don't know if he, knew what I was going to talk about, 
But I went up and talked about the same things that I talked about with the young SEAL officers, which is how to lead on the battlefield. And when I talked to this group, as soon as I got done, the CEO came up to me and said, I want you to tell, come and talk to every division that I have at my company. And he was a, you know, a big company all over the country. And, you know, I was kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I'm getting ready to retire. And he said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you. And so that all of a sudden said, oh, I could make some money here and, and, you know, talk about something I like talking about. So I said, cool. And, and then I started talking to all the divisions at his company. And then at one of the divisional meetings that I was talking at, the CEO of the parent company was there, the company that owned his company. And that CEO, as soon as I was done, came up to me and said, I want you to come and talk to all the CEOs that I have. Wow. That I have love it. That I own. And so, so he owned about he owned about 45 or 50 companies. And so as soon as I got done talking to them, a bunch of them came up to me and said, can you come and talk to my company? Can you come and talk to my company? Can you come and talk to my company? So I, you know, I said yes. And then I had a business and I, and, and I talked to my friend Leif, who was one of the platoon commanders that worked for me in the battle of Ramadi. And he was just getting out of the Navy as well. And I said, Hey man, I need some cover. I need some support over here. Can you, can you come over and, and help me out? And of course, you know, we're, we're brothers and, and he said, absolutely. So we started, we started doing this. And then as we started doing it more and more and the demand signal went up and it was amazing. We never spent one penny on advertising, not one penny on marketing. It just, it just grew by word of mouth and we would Love enter it. an industry, one company in industry would have us and then five more companies in an industry would want to have us come talk to their companies. And, and as that went on, eventually everyone was asking us, Hey, do you have this information written down anywhere? Can you give us some handouts? Do you have a pamphlet for us? There you go. And we looked at each <laughs> other and said, okay, we need to write this stuff down. So we have something to hand out. And then that got, that got seen by a literary agent who read it and said, you know, if you guys, if you guys put a little into this, I mean, this will be a great book. And we were kind of like, well, you know, okay, whatever. Because books are books are are very, very tricky. It's a very hard industry. I mean, yeah. And if you don't know anything about books, if you, anyone that thinks, oh, well, what I'm going to do, my my plan is to write a best selling book and then go from there. That's the worst plan you can possibly mm, possibly think right. of because sure. it's very difficult to do that unless you have either a really good book or a lot of money because you can actually buy your way into a best selling book. There's methodologies around that as well, right. um, but. We didn't have a lot of money and we were like, well, you know, and, and, and that's not really our, our attitude of, hey, we'll pay people to yeah. buy this book. It just doesn't sure, make yeah. sense to us. So <laughs> we just, yeah, we just, we just wrote the best book we could possibly write. The book eventually came out and the book did incredibly well. As the book was about to come out, I was, I was on an interview, a podcast interview with a guy by the name of Tim Ferriss who... Yep. If you don't know who he is, you've probably been living in, under a rock for a while. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but sure. Great guy. And at the time, you know, there was a lot less podcasts. This was in 2015. There was a lot less podcasts right then. And of the few fewer podcasts that there were, his podcast was absolutely one of the best podcasts there was. And, and it's still a great and popular podcast. But I went on his podcast and that podcast interview really got a lot of traction and was, is one of his top rated podcasts or top listened to podcasts that he's had. And then a couple weeks after I was on his podcast, another guy by the name of Joe Rogan, yeah. who once again, if you don't know who that is, you've probably been li living under a rock, but Joe asked me to come on his podcast. And, and again, this is when there was a lot fewer podcasts and his podcast was one of the most popular podcasts so I went on his podcast and, and both Tim and Joe told me that I should start my own podcast. So wow. when two guys like that tell you, yeah. you know, when two of the premier podcasters in, in the history of podcasting tell you to start a podcast, well, what you do is you listen. <laughs> you listen. So mm -hmm. I started my podcast very short. I, I started, it came out, I think two weeks after I was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And luckily I had a friend that was, uh, that, that understood how to work computers and and record things and so as my friend echo charles and i said hey can you do this and he said yep so we started the podcast and then the podcast has been you know uh, very very successful and very popular and and mo most important it's it's very easy access for people so a lot of people can listen to it and 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 learn the lessons that i had to learn the hard way 
they can learn the lessons much easier by putting a pair of headphones in and, and figuring out how, a better way to lead. I love that, man. I love how you were so focused on delivering value to other people that you just let the law of reciprocity work around you and it just, your success blew up. And that's, that's phenomenal. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. It's, you know, when you, are, when you have that hard charging attitude to just deliver help and success, you know, tips or whatever, right? Just add value to other people. It comes back to you tenfold. For you, sir, it came back a hundredfold. And now here you are and you guys are absolutely crushing it. So thank you for what you guys have done. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, well, no, that's a great point. And, and I, I agree with you. And to be honest with you, it all started when I was in the military. When I was in the military, all I wanted to do was be a good SEAL. Once I was in a leadership position, I wanted to make life good for my guys and make them, make them disciplined and make them able to survive and win and thrive in combat. And then when I was in a leadership position teaching, all I wanted to do is make sure that the guys learned the lessons that I had learned. And so that's been my goal all along was just to do a good job with what I'm doing. I don't really worry too much. You know, I, I, I can promise you I was never worried about getting promoted or anything like that. I was worried about doing a good job, accomplishing the mission, taking care of my people. That's what I was worried about. And that's it. things turned out the way they turned out. You know, there's some luck in there and, and just... I'm I'm a, I'm hard working. I'm a hard worker. I'll, I'll say that. That's about the only compliment I'll give myself is that I'm a hard worker. But other than that, you know, I'm just trying to just trying to do uh, do good, do right by the people that are that are around me. That's the best I can say. Yeah, I mean, one one question I've been dying to ask you is what what you think your superpower is. I mean, a lot of people talk about superpower, maybe just a strong character trait or something that maybe you didn't choose, but you know, it, it was chosen for you, and you were able to recognize that and capitalize on it. What would you say well, that is? Yeah, that's a real easy answer. My superpower is I don't have any. I wasn't naturally good at anything. I wasn't naturally fast. I wasn't naturally strong. I wasn't the best shot. I wasn't naturally good at anything. The only reason I was able to to do anything in my career in the military is because I was a hard worker. And 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 being right. substandard, being of substandard talent forced me to learn how to work hard. If I wouldn't have worked hard, I never would have been able to do anything because I didn't have the natural talent for it. So then when I got out of the military, I just applied that work ethic to whatever else I was doing. And, you know, it yeah, so you developed, right. you developed yeah. discipline off of kind of recognition that you didn't have a superpower or that you just had to grind. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I absolutely had to work hard. Yep. I had, if I wouldn't have had, if I didn't impose discipline on my life, I would not be anywhere. I would, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done anything that I've done so far. Everything that I've done is a result of discipline. How long do you think it takes to break an old habit or, um, you know, get into a disciplined mindset to where it becomes kind of uh, robotic and, you know, you're able to move forward with any habit or something? It takes one second. Choice. Yeah, it takes one second. I mean, you, 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 either, are, you either decide you're going to be disciplined or not. And, and once you make that decision, that decision takes less than one second. Are you going to get out of bed? That's, that's a real easy answer. Yes or no. Are you going to work out like you're supposed to? Yes or no. Are you going to waste your money on things that you don't need? Yes or no. Are you going to save money? Yes or no. Like these are these the, the you know di- discipline is a decision that you make every second of every day. And how long does it take to make? It takes less than one second. I love it. I love it. You're yeah. you're absolutely right on that. Uh, Jack, do you mind sharing some of the challenges that you faced? You know, whether that was through the transition period or maybe through stepping into corporate. Um, you know, it sounds like you just attacked every single decision, like you said, right? Straight up, let's make it happen. But, you know, what were some of the, peeling back some of the onion, what were some of those challenges that you faced and, um, and how did you overcome them? You know, for me, I, I don't really, when challenges come my way, I don't really even see them as challenges. I just look at something as, as, a, as hey, this is a, an opportunity that's presenting itself to me that I'm going to maneuver over around or through that's what's going to happen and i also have the attitude of oh this is something that i actually am not suited to do or this is something that i can't get done right now cool am i going to waste a bunch of energy trying to do something that doesn't make sense no i'm not i'm actually going to uh take a step back reassess and figure out a different approach 
I was, I was getting interviewed yesterday. And one of the things I was talking about was from, from startups, you know, we work with a lot of startup companies. And one of the things that I always recommend people do is when you start a company, you start small and then you grow as you see the demand signal. Great. That makes sense. It's very functional because you're mitigating the risk out of the gate, right? You're not, you're not buying a bunch of property to put offices in before you have any income. No, that's not right. smart. You work out of your house. That's how you do it. And then as you start to get demand, maybe now you have an employee. Well, an employee can work in their house and I can work in my house. We're still good. Maybe once I get three, four, five employees and we need to have a place to meet with clients, maybe then I'll get an office. But what I'm saying is you grow as the demand signal presents itself. The other thing about this is when you're doing that, you have to actually keep your ears open for feedback because mm. when you start something, it may not be the correct product that you're presenting, right? You may, so you may make a widget that you think is great because you know you think, oh, I'm going to make this widget and I'm going to make, I'm going to make twenty thousand of these widgets and I'm going to make them black, and then you look up because you think black, like okay, I'll give you a good example: cars, right? If I was in charge of all car production in the world, all cars would be silver because I think that silver, it, it, you don't have to wash it every day like a black car, but it's not as hard on your eyes to look at in the bright sun as a white car. And I don't like red. So what color are you going to make all cars? I would make all cars silver. Well, here's the deal. And I'm 100% sure. I can tell you right now, I have multiple vehicles and they're all silver. <laughs> and guess what? If I was to make all cars, they would all be silver. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is if I started car production, I'd be making them all silver. If I paid attention, if I just made three cars or four cars to start with, and I made them all silver and no one bought them, and all of a sudden I made a, a red one and it sold, I'd say, oh, guess what? I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I need to listen, listen to the feedback. Now I start making red cars and then pretty soon I realize, oh, people actually care what color their car is. They want a selection. Now I'm going to give them some options. I would need to adjust and adapt as I'm doing this. So this is, this is the type of thing where as a, as a business owner, when you see a challenge, like when you propose this question, what challenges do I see? I, it's hard for me to even think of challenges because I just see challenges as adjustments that I need to make. They're not challenges to me. They're, they're directives to me. They're things that advise me in which direction I need to move. It's not a challenge. It's an opportunity. I love that. I really love your perspective on that, Jocko, because I think that's valuable. You know, uh, I think sometimes we all get caught up in our own BS, right? You know, this deployment is at an inopportune time or my work schedule is, you know, from sunrise to sunset. And when I get home, all I want to do is, you know, throw on Netflix and just relax in bed. Well, it's like, well, that may be your challenge, but you just work around it as a different opportunity. You know, if you don't have the, the things that you need, right? Find someone that does, right? Or, or if you just make the decision, say, okay, I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day dedicated to my alternate mission, which is financial freedom in life, then hey, have that 30 minutes a day can compound and you just work around it, like you said. So uh, that's, that's really good. I love that. Eric, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just um, kind of wanted to um, revert back to something you were talking about earlier. Um, when you're building Echelon Front, were you and sorry to switch gears here, but this is kind of lingering here. So when, when you were going and talking to some of those initial um, groups, you didn't have a script. And so, so talk about, I mean, I guess to correlate, talk about an obstacle. I read a book last year called The Obstacle is the Way. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a great book. And it's kind of about the same thing. It's like you can look at an obstacle or you can look at it as an op opportunity, right? So when you're building Echelon, before you even knew it had a name or a business, and you and Leif were going and, and talking. You didn't have a script, right? Right up front. No. You, you were just talking about your experiences and what you thought about leadership. And then that developed over time because you were listening to people giving you feedback saying, hey, we'd love to hear about this. Is that right? Well, it's interesting. The, the fundamental principles of combat leadership that I talk about all I the love time. This. Yeah. So we've got cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute and decentralized command. Those were the four things that I taught the young SEAL leaders. So I don't know whether that's a script, but that's what, that's what I talked about. Extreme ownership is the other thing that I talked about. And the last thing that I talked about, well, there's two other things I talked about. That's discipline equals freedom. And I talked about that not just from a personal perspective, but from a, 
from a unit and team perspective as well. And then finally, this dichotomy of leadership. So out of the gate, and by the way, those things haven't changed. In fact, when we had cover and move, simple, prioritize, and execute, and decentralized command, cover and move is, is, like a, is like a verb, right? Hey, you need to cover and move. Prioritize and execute is a verb. Decentralized command is not really a verb, and then simple is not really a verb. And simple, I remember our publisher, our editor was saying, hey, you know, you should change this to keep things simple or keep it utilize simple or simplicity whatever. or something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what we decided was, hey, this is what we taught, and we're going to stick with what we taught. Yeah. And there's no simpler word, there's no simpler way of say, saying simple than simple. simple. Yep. So the things that we talked about, we've been talking about the whole time. And haven't changed them. And, and it's not like my mind hasn't been open to change them. Believe me, I'm constantly on the lookout for someone to say, hey, here's another law of combat that you didn't talk about. I haven't had that happen yet. I didn't have it happen while I was in the SEAL teams. I, didn't, I haven't had it happen while I was talking to big conventional forces out you know, in the Army and the Marine Corps. I've never had anybody say that to me yet. And I haven't had it happen in the business world. So right now, from what I can understand and from what I've seen, these things that we talk about, they've existed since the beginning. Now, right. they weren't a script, but they have been there you know, yeah. since the beginning. Right. So I, don't know right. if that, I don't know if that defeats your, your hypothesis of what you were thinking. I will say this on your hypothesis. When I went to talk to businesses, I didn't know that I – didn't, I didn't yet know. I mean, I spent my entire adult life in the military. So I had no idea what it was like to be in a business or, or – in a boardroom or have shareholders or any of those things. I didn't know any of those things. So it was hard for me to picture that, hey, businesses, the leadership principles that businesses need are the exact same leadership principles that you've been teaching. I didn't know that. It took me about 30 seconds to realize it. I realized that the very first time someone asked me a question, because the very first question that I got asked about leadership was, hey, I've got this department over here and this division over here and this other department over here and they don't talk to each other and they don't work together. Mm. What do I do? And I said, oh, they don't cover and move for each other, which is the principle of teamwork. Right. And, and so that's when I realized, oh, all these principles are going are gonna to apply across the board no matter for what sure. industry is. And I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're leading a, a big company, a military unit, a, a fire department, or a Girl Scout troop. The leadership principles are going to stay the same. <laughs> yeah, so you've boiled it down. Really, just taken yeah. taken a lot of these principles. They're they're fundamental. So if they are fundamental, then it's something that is it's going to be really hard for them to even make sense to change because they are the core, the root of the structure. They okay. So occasionally I'll get a question from somebody and they'll say, "Hey, Jocko, um, you know my my boss or my subordinate." They don't really like you. And so I'm not sure that they're going to agree with the principles you house. And I said, hey, you know what? If they don't like me, that's fine. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care if people like me. I mean, not here be liked. You know, people right. have their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, but I said, here's what, here's what they're basically saying. You got someone that says they don't want to cover and move. So what does that mean? That means that they don't want to work together as a team. And they want to maintain silos inside their organization. Mm. Is there any leader in the world that would say that's a good idea? The answer is no. No leader in the world would say you shouldn't have teamwork. Simple. Oh, my leader doesn't want to do what Jocko says. So instead of keeping things simple, my leader wants to make everything so complex that nobody, that nobody understands what they're doing, that nobody understands the, the, the actual execution that they're supposed to take part mm -hmm. of. None of that, that no, no leader in the world would actually say that. The next one, prioritize and execute. No, no, my leader doesn't want to do what you say. Instead, my leader wants to, to put their resources on 40 different, different initiatives and have the resources so thin on every initiative that nothing ever gets accomplished. That's what we're going to do. No, mm -hmm. no leader would ever say that. And the last one, decentralized command. Oh, my, what my leader wants to do is, is make every decision in a centralized location so that people that are on the front lines have no ability to act on their own yeah. accord and, and remove all their initiative. Does that make sense? No, no leader would, no good leader would ever say that. Extreme ownership. 
oh no, we don't want to do that inside of our, our organization. Instead, what we want to do is point our fingers and blame people when things are going wrong. That right? No leader would ever say that. And then, you know, discipline and freedom, right? Discipline and freedom. Oh, what we want to have is an undisciplined organization where we have no standards, we have no process, and every single individual is figuring things out for themselves. That makes no sense either. And, and then the dichotomy of leadership, which is, hey, we're going to take, instead of being extreme in one direction or the other, we're going to have balance in what we do. That you try any, any characteristic of a leader and you put, that, you put that to the test. You name the best characteristic that a leader can have. And I will tell you, if you take it to extreme, it'll, it'll not be good. We can try that experiment right now. Who's got, you know, do either one of you two have it, the best possible characteristic that you can think of for a leader? Name one. Mm, that's a good point. I'd say uh, charismatic. Why not? Okay. So now we get, a, we get a person that's so charismatic that no one else on the team can step out from behind this person's shadow. So that means everyone's looking to Jocko to make a call. And that means when Jocko goes down, no one knows any of the other people on the team. I've absorbed all the leadership into myself. So now when something happens to me, no one else can step up. No one else is trusted. No one else is even known because I was so charismatic that, that I just dominated the room every time. Is that wow. good? No. No. It's not. Extreme, it's bad. Yeah, I can see how you can take that from, you could mm. just name anything right now, any leadership characteristic and just blow it up like that. And I, I also, I, I've heard you say um, when you're, when you're giving your talk about, you know, specifically decentralized command and giving your guys, when you talk about that, uh, the roof wall and giving them the flexibility to make that call, if you can, is there any way you can go through that strategy? I just thought that it was so impactful to me to have people understand that as long as your troops or company or employees understand why you want to accomplish your directive, they can make those calls on the fly. Is there any way you can explain a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is what we do. What we do as leaders is we need to make sure the most important thing that anyone understands is why they're doing what they're doing. This is what we have to do. And where I'd see this is, you know, you take a, a SEAL platoon and they're on a training mission and they get into an enemy contact and they're falling back, trying to get away from the enemy, and eventually they need to stop and kind of reorganize. Well, if that leader gives their intent and lets everyone know why they want them to, why they, why they, what they're trying to get done, but why they're trying to do it, then all the little individual team leaders can act for themselves. So as soon as the team, as soon as the team leader or the platoon leader says, hey guys, form a perimeter, we're gonna get a head count and then move south, everybody goes, oh, okay. So now the machine gunners, they, they set up in a spot where they can cover the movement to the south. The corpsmen start figuring out who needs to get worked on and who needs to get carried. The radio men start communicating up the chain of command that we are moving to our extraction point. All of this is happening because the leader explained why we're doing it. If all he says is form a perimeter, right. well, everyone goes into their standard spots and sits there yeah, and waits. Right. And right. so now he has to say, hey, radio man, call headquarters and tell them what we're doing. Hey, corpsman, get the troops ready to move. Hey, point man, start figuring out which way we're going to start heading south. Hey, machine gunners, set up on this high ground over here to cover our movement. When you explain to people why you're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, it gives them the ability to make decisions on the front lines. And that's exactly what we want. And it yeah. becomes infinitely easier for you as a leader when you tell people the intent of what's happening, the intent of, of why you're doing what you're doing, it allows them to lead and allows you to sit back and instead of trying to try and articulate down to the front line specifically what each individual should do at this moment, all I have to do is say, hey, this is why we're doing it. And everyone takes care of themselves. Everyone steps up and everyone leads. And that's what decentralized command is. And that's not often done enough in a 40-slide PowerPoint, right? Uh, oh no, it's, it's crazy. The Germans, so the Germans and really the Prussians, they kind of originated this idea and they did it at the end of World War I is where they really started to push this idea of decentralized command because we're in trench warfare in World War I and, and what they ended up saying was like, listen, we keep trying to do these broad 10,000 man division assaults across the line 
and it's not working. So what they started saying is, hey, you know what? Hey, Sergeant on the front line, what we want you to do is penetrate. Just go and, and kill some Americans. Go kill some Brits. Go kill some Frenchmen. You guys go do that on your own. Figure it out. And when they started doing that, they started getting results. Fortunately for us as allies, they didn't figure that out until they didn't have the resources left to actually do anything with it. But that idea of decentralized command and commander's intent came from them, and then we all adopted it. But there's a great quote that I've heard speaking of those 40 slide, or, or and you, you say 40 slides. I mean, in the SEAL teams, we would have guys briefing with 120 100 slides. 100 slides, 100 plus. It's intense, for, yeah. For, for a one-hour briefing, they're going through mm-hmm. 150 slides. Yep. And what was interesting, what we start, and what you would see in the U.S. military is you would see one slide at the end that would say, hey, the commander's intent for this operation is – we want to disrupt the enemy's ability to maneuver <laughs> in and around this road and this bridge. Right. And, and that's, that's the 150th slide out of 150 slides. And, and I, heard <laughs> a a quote from a, I heard a quote from a German commander that says that the commander's intent, which is really the why, the commander's intent shouldn't be the last slide of the 150 slides. It should be the only slide. Hey guys, Tim Kelly here. When I first became interested in this intriguing game of real estate investing, I became so excited. I read a few books and I thought to myself, I can do this. After immersing myself in books and podcasts, attending meetups and conferences, I had so much great knowledge and started to take action, but it was uncalculated, unfocused, and inconsistent. For months, I continued to learn and consume more information, continued to build my real estate network, but still, no results, just struggling and hitting brick wall after brick wall. Then I decided to invest more in myself, work with coaches, and I realized many things I was doing improperly, but the single greatest thing was when I decided to hone my focus and remove all other distractions. That's when I chose multifamily. I let nothing else distract me. I hyper-focused my learning, networking, and action steps, and it was game over. Shortly after I made the decision to work with coaches, from that point on, I was able to close my first apartment deal, and I was off to the races. I've made plenty of mistakes, and I'm still learning more and more every day, but I want to streamline the multifamily investing process for you. Join me and the other coaches, investors, and action takers at the ADPI in the Multifamily Military Academy and Mastermind. We're about to relaunch it, and it will only be open for a limited time to limited people. Do yourself a favor, invest in you, and get on the wait list now. <laughs> nice. Ooh, so you think about that. All, all that okay. you, all that Mike and Eric, all I need to, t- I don't need to tell you what, you know, how I want you to execute this thing. I don't need to tell you what weapons to bring. I don't need to tell you what vehicles to bring. I don't need to tell you what route to attack from. I don't need to tell you where to set up your base element. I don't need to tell you how many rounds to bring. I don't need to tell you any of that. What I need to tell you is here's a bridge and I want you to make it so the enemy can't get across it and can't okay. maneuver around it. And you awesome. guys go, cool. Okay. Got it. Now, Done. there is, a, there is a, uh, an assumption here that I've worked with you guys, that I've trained you guys, that you guys understand how to implement tactics, which w- that's why we work together, so I can train you, so I can get you up to speed. But eventually, all I need to tell you is, hey, here's the bridge. I don't want any enemy to be able to use it. You guys go, cool, we got it. And I don't need it. You know what I can do then? Then I can look for the next thing. Instead of having to sit there and try and plan the mission myself, I can let you do it. And obviously, the same thing happens in the business world. When I tell my team, hey, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that our quality of our product is better than any other company that's making a similar product. That's our goal. And I don't care if it takes you an extra 10 minutes. I don't care if it costs us an extra 20%. We are going to build our reputation on quality. And now everybody on my manufacturing line says, okay, instead of me rushing this product through, I'm going to take an extra couple seconds, maybe even an extra 30 seconds to make this adjustment, to do this little detail, to make everything perfect because that's what the boss wants as opposed to someone that's going, hey, I'm getting paid by the hour and I'm supposed to get as many of these things done as I can. Cool. I'm just going to make sloppy work. 
and and in a long range that's going to long term that's going to ruin our our reputation so yes making sure people understand your intent as a commander making which is another way of saying making sure they understand the why is one of the most fundamental parts of a decentralized which is arguably the most powerful of the laws of combat. Yeah, and I like what you said too about, you know, assuming that we've worked together and things like that. Because once you've trained your team to mount and dismount and to, you know, blow a bridge and to do all the things that you that you know they already inherently know how to do, there isn't mm-hmm. that element of, I wonder if they're going to do it the right way if they have to adjust fire. There's not. They're going to already know. They're going to know exactly what to do because they're disciplined, they're trained. They've done it a thousand times together. So you don't have to explain all those little pieces. I love that. Exactly. And tying it into real estate real quick, you know, I mean, it it speaks exactly to what we teach when you're talking to your team, you're trying to, you know, lay your specific criteria as to what you're looking for. Even if that specific criteria, because you're a beginning investor and you really don't know any better is a result. Say, Hey, listen, realtor. Hey, listen, property manager. Hey, listen, contractor. This is what I'm looking for. I want to make 200 a month, at least on cash flow from this property. How can we do that, right? Give me some guidance. Show, share with me your expertise in your field and let's figure out how we can put a plan together. And then we keep looking at certain properties and say, okay, we found this. This is what works. We're going to stick to it. Similar going back to what you're saying, that consistency, building that repetition, that discipline. And we're going to keep moving and executing on the mission. And you know, before you know it, guys, it literally, it is that simple. And, and it happens. It doesn't happen overnight, right? It absolutely does not happen overnight. But over time, you will get there and you will accomplish the mission. And I love yeah. how all these principles just tie into us and tie into each other. It's great. I've said on several on several podcasts that the real estate investing and just you know whatever you want to call it, wealth building or financial freedom, it's all very mechanical. Yeah. And for a military service member, I would say nothing is harder than what you've already been through real estate or investing or wealth building or team building or whatever. None of that in the civilian sector is as hard as what you've already been through. Mm -hmm. So, and I love that, that you're able Jocko to take that and to really apply it, to make it real uh, for for people, even people who have zero military experience, they can kind of see that, Oh, well, as long as we're taking advantage of these fundamental principles um, to get the job done, and we know why the job needs to get done a certain way, right. we can apply this and grow. And it makes it's us pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, good point. There is um, really bringing your family in and making sure that they understand as well. Uh, you, know, you guys are mm, sitting here talking a lot about real that. estate, and you know when I was uh, when I was in the military, obviously you you guys all know we, you're, when you're in the military that that military paycheck alone. It is not going to build right. the wealth that you want. Exactly. But I'll tell you something else. There's no reason that at the end of a 20-year career, you should ever have to work again if you are smart with your money. You so one of the things that, you know, when you talk about explaining to your family, you know, at one point I had bought my third house and my wife and I, it was a small house and we had two kids two daughters when we bought the house and very shortly thereafter, we had a son on the way. And so, and this was a two bedroom house, 934 square feet. So when my son was born and we didn't have enough money at that time to, to throw another room on the back or, or whatever. So my wife and I, when you opened the front door to our house, on the right hand side was a couch and a TV on the left hand side was our bed. And right next to the bed was the dining room table. So my wife and I lived in the living room, dining room, um, bedroom, which was the front room of the house. And we did that for, I mean, I saved money and and eventually put an addition on the back of the house to get us another bedroom. There you go. But that's that's the kind of thing where, you know, my wife understood, hey, the only way that we could afford a property in this particular neighborhood Mm -hmm. is if we get this house that... And by the way, every house I've ever bought, except for one, was unlivable. Unlivable. I had to go in there Good for you. Good and, for you. And get it done. And, and that's how I was able to afford houses in the neighborhoods yeah. that I afforded houses in because no one else wanted to buy them. So, mm-hmm. and, and my wife understood, hey, we're going to have to, you know, she's going to have to live in the front, in the, in the living room for a while. My wife said, oh, she realized she's going to have to live with, 
you know, a, a crappy old stove for a while that only the back right burner works or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. right. until I can take the time, I can save the money and I can put back into it. And, and that's the way that we're going to over time get to a spot where we want to be. So I think Absolutely. it's important when you talk about explaining the why, it's important to explain it not just to your team, so everyone knows what the mission is, and everyone knows that the sacrifices that, that they're making right now will pay off in the long run. Well, we, we uh, wrote a book last year, Military House Hacking, and we, we go over some of these strategies, and we all kind of use our own version of that. I was living, flipping in the Bay Area. Mike's been doing short-term rentals. You know, some guys were doing single family stuff and some guys were doing multifamily stuff on our team. Have you used the VA loan and do you see that as a valuable asset? Yeah, the VA loan's great. Yeah. The VA loan's great. I yeah, mean, I mean, we're... Unfortunately, you only get one of them, but yeah, you use it and it's, yeah, the VA loan is a great, is a great thing. Here, here's some things that are awesome. Hey. You can have now, well, now they're lifting the cap on the VA loan as of January 1, 2020. All the details are still rolling out right now. But, um, you know, you're limited to what you could qualify for still. You still have to have a debt to income, but it used to be, I mean, I'm in Northern California where, you know, you're able to get zero down on a house up to almost 700000 or something. And then you can pay it the difference, 25% of the difference if you have to buy a million dollar house because it's the Bay Area or, you know, San Diego, LA, wherever, New York. But now you obviously, or now you can also have two simultaneous VA loans. And that's something that not a lot of our, it's definitely not taught in the military. Nope. And it's not taught, um, you know, out there kind of openly to a lot of people. I've had two simultaneous VA loans and we have uh, lenders and people we work with who have seen people with three simultaneous VA loans. And it does depend a lot on how much eligibility you have, what your debt to income is, what you know, part of the area, part of the country you live in and some other scenarios, but amazing asset. You can even Jocko, I didn't know if you knew this, but we talk about this strategy in our book as well, but um, you can buy a fourplex with no money down, no PMI, live in one unit. It's an owner occupied unit. And we're teaching service members to do that either with a single family house and rent out their rooms to their comrades and, and house hack cash flow, a duplex, a triplex, or up to a fourplex with no money out of pocket. It's pretty amazing. Or do exactly what you did, Jocko, which is yeah. live within your means, however that means you have to live, suck it up yeah. for a little bit, do whatever you can to save money, build a little extra space and add some value to it. So on the back end, if you decide to sell your property, you're making a little money. If you decide to rent your property and refinance that capital out into another property or your next one, you can do that too. But, uh, but yeah, you, you can definitely use your VA loan more than once. And that's not a benefit that we lose at all throughout the rest of our lives. We, we have that until Amazing. we die. So, um, so it's definitely something that's, that's great, a great tool to use. And I love the fact that you guys have that experience. You know, you've, you've, you've been there, you've done it. And now look at the success that you guys are building. And it's, uh, it's phenomenal. And it just kind of shows a true testament to your family's discipline, your discipline, sir, as a leader in your family. And, you know, what you guys are able to accomplish here is, is great. And it's a legacy that you're going to leave on. And, uh, so your wife and kids knew that that was the strategy you're buying, you're forcing appreciation on these houses. You know, you're going to own it for uh, several years. And th- this is the thing we got to do this because look at your five. So you were, you're having that conversation with your wife at the time. And yeah, um, I mean, my kids didn't know any better. Sure. My yeah. Kids, they're young. My kids were too young at the time. Yeah, right. And, and what's <laughs> funny is, you know, my kids will hear my wife and I talk about it now and like, they didn't really know, you know, they didn't really know they didn't really know that the, their, some of their Christmas presents were used. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, didn't, they, didn't really know, they didn't really know that, that uh, Chili's was mm. not the fanciest restaurant <laughs> a person to go to. That's they great. thought that, hey, when, when it came time for, uh, for dad's birthday, we would go to the nicest restaurant in the world. It's called Chili's. Called and Chili's. They that's the way it was. Yep. So, uh, yeah, my, my kids, my kids never knew that you know, that money was tight or that we were scraping right. to, to, to save money for a remodel or whatever. They never knew any of that. They mm-hmm. just, knew that, you know, this is the way life is. And, and, you know, it, it's proof that there's, even though it's nice to have money, you know, there's, there's more important things than money and yes. that's taking care of your family. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we moved nine times. Um, after I got out mm-hmm. of the military, we moved nine times in an eight year period and with our kids in tow, our kids are two, we have two boys and they don't know the difference. When we go to a new house, it's what's the next house looking like, dad? What's the backyard? This is fun. As long That's as mom it. and dad are there, they don't know any difference, you know? 
That's absolutely it, man. So, so are you, I want to ask you this, are you still investing? And if so, what asset class or how do you, how do you save or how do you invest? I got you don't have all, to get into specifics, I, I, but I, well, I mean, I got all kinds of stuff going on. Okay, I mean, I, sure. I got houses. I got commercial real estate. Cool. I got I got a little bit of nice. everything. Good, um, good for you. And the whole nine yards. So I've got I've got everything. I, I definitely like real estate. Um, you know, I, and I like businesses as well. I, I like to I like to invest in businesses that I really know something about, and really, I even more like to invest in businesses that I have ownership in, and that. Mm-hmm that I, that I have some level of control over. Um, so that's what I like to do. You know, I, I, I don't love to put money into things that I don't understand right. very well. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to make much sense to me. I've done it before. I've won some, I've lost some. And I, and I, I don't prefer that anymore. But one thing that's, you know, I, I do like real estate. Um, mm-hmm. one thing that's nice about real estate and I got a friend that, that, um, that, lives near me and we talk about real estate a lot. And, you know, he's, he said he's never seen a real estate asset value go to zero. And that's it. I, I don't know if you all have ever owned stocks before, but I've owned stocks that have gone to zero, right? Yeah. I've owned companies that have gone to zero. Yeah. I've owned a lot of real estate and I've never had a piece of real estate go to zero. Now that's no guarantee. And, you know, if you were not in the military, like I went through the financial crisis of 2006, 2007, 2008. I went through that financial crisis. I was in the military. I was just paying my mortgage on a couple houses. It didn't matter to me. You know, I was collecting rent. It was all good. If I would have been a person that was, that had speculated and tried to leverage and try to buy, I had a lot of friends that got left high and dry during that period because Mm -hmm. they over speculated. They didn't start small and grow on demand. And so, you know, you've got to be careful of that. You don't want to over leverage yourself. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where if you look up and the bottom drops out, which it will, then you don't want to be in a situation that you can't handle. So like you said, like you said, Mike, you want to live within your means. And, and you know, that, does that mean you're not going to take risk? No, you need to take risk. But if, if risk for you, like risk for me, Hey, I'm going to be living with my wife again in the living room. I don't care. That's no factor to me. Right. If that's going to ruin your life, if that's going to make you miserable, you I'll need to risk. you need to put your risk back, dial your risk back until it gets comfortable for you. Right. For me, I don't care. You know, I can take risk, and if as long as I've got my you know my primary couple residences, and I'm like, okay, I'm good with those, fine. Mm-hmm. But I won't leverage beyond that where I could where, where I could lose all that. So you know, when you're in the military. There's a couple of things I'd like to say about being in the military. Number one, make the military your number one job. Mm-hmm. I, I was in the military. And like I said earlier, my focus absolutely and without question was doing the best job I could be, doing the best job I could do in the military. Correct. And these yeah. other things that I would do on the side, they never interfered. I would never mm-hmm. in for one moment ever put what I was doing in the civilian sector on top of what I was doing in the military. You know, when I had to remodel... I remodeled my kitchen at one of my houses and I did it. I did it in one three day weekend. I had, I, I stripped that. I stripped my kitchen all the way down to the studs, redid the plumbing, redid the electrical drywalled and got the mud on in 72 hours. Nice. <laughs> didn't interfere with my work at all. I love all. it. I love and it. And then, you know, and then the next weekend I was able to get a working sink. You know, other than mm-hmm. for, for a week, guess what? My wife was doing dishes in the bathroom. So, so, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing you can't let, you can't let what you're trying to do on the outside interfere with your military job. Your military has got to be your primary, but the military doesn't eat up all your time. And it doesn't you to do, you know, to fix things and, and, and make things happen. So I, I definitely recommend you do that. And, you know, a lot of my friends that that didn't do well during that financial crisis, it's because instead of buying a small house that they were cramped in, they were buying big giant mansions that, you know, speculating that it was going to go up in value. That's that's not guaranteed. You mm-hmm. can't guarantee that. So you need to be careful when you make these decisions and, you know, take calculated risk. Think about what the worst case scenario, if, like I said, for me, the worst case scenario is, oh, worst case, I'll be living in this house for an extra four years instead of being living here for two years. 
okay, cool. I'm still in a location that I like. I'm still got my wife and kids. You know, it's a little cramped, but we're good. It's fine. That's the kind of that's the kind of of, of risk you want to take on the on the on the lose end. Don't don't risk. Don't don't make yourself miserable if things go don't go the way you want because there's no guarantee in in real estate or any other business. Yeah. So that kind of rolls into a question I have for you: um, perspective, point of view on life after military service, and kind of now you're in the civilian sector and you're dealing with a whole kind of you know different people who don't have your same perspective. So what would you say after all your experiences in the military and now in the civilian sector, what do you feel like is most purposeful for you? For me, the most purposeful, purposeful thing is helping other people. Amen. And that hasn't changed. When I was in the military, like I said earlier, my goal was to make, make, it, make the world good for 16 SEALs in a SEAL platoon. When I was in charge of a task unit, it was to make the world good for... 36 seals in a, in a seal task unit and get our mission done. That's what, that's what we were trying to do. When I was training seals, it was get those guys up to speed so that they could survive on the battlefield and accomplish their mission. Now that I'm in the civilian sector, what makes me, what gives me the most gratification, gratification, seeing a company that I'm working with, seeing a leader that I'm working with step up, take control of their world and win. So I think in the end of the day, when you look for a purpose, what you, I think the most gratification will come from helping other people. Outstanding. <clears throat> Outstanding way, way, to, way to end that. Really, really appreciate it. Jocko, we're running out of time, but uh, we're going to take you into the bonus round real quick. We've got a few uh, last minute questions. I got one question for Jocko that I have to ask. Uh, oh, so okay. One more. Before we get into the bonus round, if we can, uh, best advice to give a dad or parent raising a son to become a respectful, courageous, you know, um, courteous man, best piece of advice. Yeah. I think the most important thing you have to do with your kids is you got to let you, you got to give your kids room. Your, your kids are not going to be who you want them to be. They're going to be who they are. You're going to give them some guidance along the way and you're going to be able to steer them a little bit, but they're born with a personality and, and that personality is going to drive who they are. And the more you push back against that, the more they're going to push back against you, the less they're going to listen to you. So you need to lead them like you would any other troop, right? You want to give them as much control as you can, making sure that they don't do something that's going to ruin their life, right? So I always say you want to let your kids brush up against the guardrails of failure. You don't want to let them go through the guardrails and ruin everything, right. but they got to get dinged up along the way. Love that. And the more that you, the more that you give your kids responsibility of things, the more responsibility they're going to be able to handle. So even when you got a little kid and they're hungry and it's going to take you two minutes to make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and everything will be clean and squared away, what, you're, what you actually should do is you should say, yeah, sure, you can eat. Go make yourself a peanut butter and jelly yeah. sandwich. And it's going to take them 15 minutes and they're going to make a mess and it's going to take a while to clean up, but they're going to learn something. They're going to learn to be self-reliant. And, and that's what you want. That's, what, that's how you raise good kids is you want your kids to be self-reliant, able to figure things out, be responsible for their actions, and those will end up being, being good people later on in life. My wife and I were just talking about that very answer last night. Uh, we believe in the same thing, and I'm glad to ha- I hear you say that because it kind of solidifies what we're, what we're thinking for our own kids. So. And, and, and that's, why I wrote the, uh, that's why I wrote the kids' books that I've written. You know, yeah, I've written yeah. four kids' books at this point, and they're about the, – the, the Warrior Kids series is about – taking ownership, being responsible, working hard, discipline. That's what they're about. And those are great ways to flank your kids. Because even if you're the best dad in, your, in the world, your kids, they, they don't always listen to you. Mm-hmm. But they'll listen to some other, someone else. And Uncle Jake, the character in the book, is a, is a character that the kids listen to. Awesome. Uncle Jake. You oh, want to talk about uh, leadership strategy and tactics real quick? Yeah, I got a new book coming out. It's called Leadership Strategy and Tactics. It's coming out January 14th. And what this book is, the purpose of this book is like a field manual for people that are in leadership positions that have to deal with the things that people have to deal with. And the principles that are in extreme ownership, the principles that are in the dichotomy of leadership, those principles are absolutely sound as we talked about earlier. But sometimes people have a hard time translating the principles into how they're actually going to execute those principles on the ground. 
So how do I deal with a boss that's a micromanager? How do I deal with a boss that doesn't tell, doesn't give me any guidance? How do I deal with a subordinate that thinks they know everything? How do I deal with a subordinate that is, has a lot of potential, but doesn't seem to be motivated? How do I have hard conversations with someone? How do I tell someone that they're not doing a good job without demoralizing them? All these little principles of leadership and the actual tactics to execute them are inside the the new book I've got coming out, Leadership, leadership Strategy. And it is, uh, it is available on Amazon for pre-order right now, right? It is indeed. We will uh, be, be getting on that and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so there'll definitely be a link in the show notes page for you guys to make sure that you go and grab that uh, as well as I can't wait to read it. As well. It's going to be great. Excited. All right, Jocko, I've got last few questions here for you. Uh, what is your favorite book? This can be a personal book, can be a business book, whatever it is that you like. My favorite book is a book called About Face. It's by Colonel David Hackworth and it's his it's his memoir of growing up, being at the tail end of World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and what what happened and what unfolded for him during that time period. It's a very it's about eight hundred pages long and it is a book about leader it's not a book about leadership, but it's a book about leadership. And I okay. I read and recommend that book all the time. All right, all right. Who is your biggest hero and why? It's the same guy. It's Colonel David Hackworth. Okay. He's, he's my biggest hero. I, I guess hero is the wrong word. Uh, I would say he's my biggest mentor. Okay. My biggest mentor is, is David Hackworth because I've gleaned so much information from his book. As far as heroes, the, the hero question is very, very easy for me to answer. You know, my, my heroes are Mark Lee, Mike Monsoor, and Ryan Job, the, the three guys I had with me in Tasking the Bruiser that were killed in the battle right. Love that. Absolutely love that. All right. What do you like to do for fun outside of business, outside of investing, outside of all of that? Outside of killing yourself in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Training jujitsu. Training jujitsu. And if you don't train jujitsu, you should. It'll help every aspect of your life. Mental, okay. physical, even spiritual. Check out uh, yeah. Victory MMA. You've got uh, swag people can get and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, I got a gym in San Diego called Victory MMA, and I've got a, a company where we make where we make geese for jujitsu, and we actually make everything now. It's called Origin Maine. It's a, it's a company in my old my old neighborhood up in Maine. I'm a New Englander, and <laughs> go Giants. If you know anything, <laughs> if you, uh, you know anything about the if you know anything about the economy up in up in New England, up in Maine, used to be the premier place in in the country, and really one of the premier places in the world for textiles and for manufacturing. And it was all taken away in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, and it became a very depressed economy. So what we're doing is we're bringing back manufacturing up there, all 100% American-made goods, and we've got hardware, you know, like like hard gear, hard goods like clothing. But we also nice. make supplements as well. And yeah, so if you want to support America's economy, go to originmain.com. Love awesome. it. Love it. All right. And then final three nuggets of wisdom to leave the, for those that are getting started. Yeah, the final three nuggets of wisdom are real easy for me to give because I wrote three books and they contain the nuggets of wisdom. Love First it. one is extreme ownership. Take ownership of everything that you've got going on in the world in your world and as much as you can own it. Mm -hmm. Don't blame anyone else. Don't make any excuses. Number two, discipline equals freedom. The more discipline you have in life, the more freedom you're going to have in life. And the last one is the dichotomy of leadership. And what that means is you need to balance yourself. The answer is not the extremes in any case. Mm -hmm. So don't get extreme, be balanced. And those are my, my three nuggets. And if you want more detail, you can read the books. Read them in the books. Awesome. That's cool, man. Awesome. Jocko, this has been absolutely phenomenal. How can our listeners get in touch with you or your team? Uh, well, I'm on social media, Twitter at Jocko Willink, Instagram at Jocko Willink, Facebook at Jocko Willink. My leadership consulting company is echelonfront.com. My podcast is Jocko Podcast, and that's jockopodcast.com. I have a store called jockostore.com and I have originmain.com, which is where we sell all the supplements and, and all the, the hard goods. All right. All right, guys, there'll be links in our show notes page for all the ways to get in touch with Jocko's team and uh, all those many things that he has going out there. 
guys, thanks again so much for, uh, for tuning in here. Jocko, thank you so much for your time. It's absolutely amazing. And Eric, thanks for the help, man. Really appreciate uh, having you on the show, man. Absolutely. It's awesome. Jocko's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Outstanding. That was an awesome episode. Thanks so much to our special guests and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, make sure you go and do that or schedule a call with us by texting ADPI to 444-999 or checking out our website at www.activedutypassiveincome.com to find out how you can get started on your financial freedom journey today. I'll see you guys next week.